us to uh, do some video worship here. Uh, there's some great songs that go along with this series, The I Am God. And, and uh, uh, so Kirk gets a break and we just watch this video. The words are going to be up there. Feel free to sing along if you know this song. It's a wonderful song by Charlie Hall talking about the marvelous light. So I want you to concentrate on the words, concentrate on this song, and prepare your heart for our study about the I Am God.
Uplifted hearts would prepare our hearts to hear just exactly how you do that and how you want to do that, not only in our lives, but in the people around us, the people around the globe, the people in Amsterdam that the O'Grady's are going there to shine the light to. Lord, I pray that uh, these songs and songs like this lift up our hearts, they make melody in our hearts as we praise together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, I love that song. Love that song. Saw, saw Charlie Hall, Hall perform that and, uh, and even did the spin around part. Uh, Amber, they do that at youth camp. She said, Dad, you going to do the spin around part? I said, well, I, I'm lucky to get them singing. I don't know if I'm going to get them spinning, but uh, uh, I love that song. And I love a story. I want to start out with a story. This is a great story, true story about a young pastor who shares about the first time he pastored a church. It was a small church with lots of traditions. And when Sunday arrived, the young pastor was excited about giving his first sermon. He stepped up to the pulpit to present his message, but instantly he was interrupted by an elderly woman who called out, Turn on Jesus! Well, surprised by this interruption, as you would imagine, he thought to himself, maybe I don't sound spiritual enough. He deepened his voice and he began again. And the elderly woman called out a second time, Turn on Jesus. This time, the shaken pastor paused and prayed for God to pour out the Holy Spirit. But the woman interrupted once more. Turn on Jesus. This time, he anxiously cleared his throat, shuffled his nose, loosened his collar, and one of the deacons approached the pulpit and whispered in the pastor's ear, explaining what the woman meant, pointing to the picture of Jesus that hung on the wall behind the pulpit. The deacon explained the old tradition to the young pastor. Each Sunday, before the retired preacher spoke, he took the cord that hung from the pitcher and plugged it into the outlet, therefore turning on Jesus every time before he preached. Now, that's just, isn't that funny? Can't you just see that? Turn on Jesus. Well, instead of coming to church, you know, we're a lot like that elderly lady. Instead of coming to church and saying, turn on Jesus for us, you know, Pastor Bruce, turn on Jesus. Pastor Chris, turn on Jesus. Praise Him, turn on Jesus. We need to cry out to Jesus, turn me on. Turn me on. Illuminate me. Shine your light on me. This is the second I am statement. Now, we're going in these a little bit out of order, but this is the second one you encounter in the book of John. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light. We are the darkness. He needs to turn us on. We don't need to turn him on. He is the light. 
We need Him to illuminate us because we are blinded by darkness. And I have in your notes three ways that we're blinded by darkness. Because if you don't think you're in darkness, then Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, isn't going to move you. Okay, so the first step we have to understand is just how dark, how blinded we are. And the first thing you want to see is we're blinded by the darkness around us. We live in a disobedient world system. We live in a culture that rejects Jesus, and it lives in darkness. Here's what John says. In this very book of John that we're looking at, in John 3, he says this, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. See, don't be surprised that people aren't excited about Jesus. Don't be surprised that people aren't excited about biblical teaching. It's a big searchlight that shines on our sin. And if we're not ready to confess it, if we're not ready to forsake our sin, then sitting in a class like this or coming to church or being around other Christians is very uncomfortable because it exposes the sin in our lives. But he goes on to say, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that they it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. So there's darkness around us, but there's also darkness within us. There's darkness within it. It's not just out there. It's in here. We're blinded by our own sin and our own guilt. Here's what Ephesians 4 says. Now this I testify in the Lord that you may no longer, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futilities of their mind. Now listen to this. Verse 18. Listen. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their their hard hearts. They are darkened. We just don't live in darkness. We are darkened in our heads, in our hearts, because we resist the truth and the light of God. Listen to Ephesians 5.8. At one time you were darkness, but now you are darkness. Light in the Lord, walk as children of life. Pastor Bruce just did a series on Ephesians 5. You are, you're either darkness or you're light. That's what's in us, one or the other. But it goes on. Let me read 1 John 2.11. It says this, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. Listen, darkness is not just this abstract, oh, I'm a sinner, but now I just go live any way I want. It manifests in how we treat other people. And what he says is, if you hate your brother, there's darkness in you and you're walking in darkness and does not know where he is going. You ever uh, try to move around in a room without light? What do you do? You bump into things. You hurt things. You hurt yourself. You might hurt someone else. Does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So there's darkness around us. There's darkness within us. But look, number three, there's darkness over us due to the deception of Satan. You see, we don't just live in a world where there's sin and darkness. We don't. We are not only sinners in darkness, but there is a power of darkness over us. Satan blinds the eyes of the light, of the lost, to the light of the gospel. In Ephesians 6.12, it says this, We do, do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness. You ever seen pictures? They're showing a lot of them in the news of North Korea and South Korea at night. North Korea in other darkness. South Korea lit up with Western technology. Now, we live spiritually in North Korea. And instead of the young North Korean dude, dictator over us, it's Satan who is over us and keeps us in darkness. In fact, listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. It says this, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. As we go about our work and live, we're among people whom Satan is blinding to the very light of the gospel. And they don't see how glorious Jesus is. They don't see how wonderful the word of God is. They don't see what a great savior we have. They don't see a coming wrath. They're blind to all of that. We're blinded by the darkness within us, around us, and over us. And so this is why Jesus came to say, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, suddenly that means everything. Suddenly that means everything. He also said this, Walk while you have the light, let darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. We've talked about in this series a couple of times. When we reject Jesus, he doesn't just keep hanging around begging us to believe in him. When we reject the light, he's hidden from us. The light goes out and all we're left is the darkness within us, around us, and over us. Now, what do you need if you're living in the darkness of death? You need the light of life. We need to come to light so we can come out of the darkness. We need to know where we're going. You can't know. Look, if you're in a dark room, what's the first thing you do? What's the first thing you ask? Once you recognize, I am in darkness and I want to go from here to there. What's the first thing you do? Where's the light? Where's the light? Then you, you know, so you bump around, you try to find the light. And then what do you do when you find the light? You turn it on. And then you've got a point. Then you've got a, you know, it's kind of like those, uh, those renew it, uh, air freshening commercials, you know, when they, they're blinded and everything's smelling good. And then suddenly the blinders come off and they're in a garbage dump surround. You ever seen these commercials? Okay. Man, that's, that's the spiritual life right there. See, people are walking around blinded in the darkness going, this smells pretty good. This is great. Satan's got him deceived. He's got him blinded. I don't need church. I don't need God. I don't need the Bible. And then suddenly the blinders come off. God removes and gives them sight. And they're like, man, I'm living in a dump. I want out of here. You know, people don't embrace the trash when, they, when the light comes on. They flee the trash. They flee that room because now they see what they were really smelling. Well, that's what's going to go on today. Two times in the Gospel of John, 
Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The first time, it's a message he preaches. The second time, it's a miracle he performs. So he says, I am the light of the world. And in case you don't believe that, let me come over here to this blind guy who's been blind from birth, and I'm going to give him sight. I am the light of the world. Well, we're not going to look at the miracle today. We're going to look at the message. I am the light of the world. But to understand what he meant by that, in John chapter 8, well, let's look at it first. John chapter 8. Let me just read the passage to you. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. In the midst of our darkness, Jesus comes and he speaks to him. He's already said to him, I am the bread of life. Eat me, drink me, and you will be sustained. And many forsook him. Now he's saying to them, I am the light of the world. So John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20, knows what it says. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to them, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. There's two witnesses. They said to him, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Wow. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel, immediately say, who are you? to say that. Now, why did that, why did that happen? Well, you've got to understand the background of this. And so hang with me. We have some handouts there. These are all diagrams taken out of the ESV study Bible. We're going to have these up here in a moment, but look in your notes, the connection of the light of the feast of tabernacles, the connection of the light. If you're going to understand what Jesus meant by being the light of the world, you've got to understand the connection to the Feast of Tabernacles. So we're going to do a little biblical history. Don't freak out. I'm going to walk you through it. But please understand, in fact, I just heard this week a man say that don't worry about the history of the Bible. There's greater life truths taught to us. Don't worry about the history of the Bible. Hey, Christianity, the Bible is a historical, accurate document Jesus came in history. Jesus works in history. And by the way, you and I are in history. And if the truths of the Bible aren't historical, then they have no relevance to us. So we're going to go through a little history here, but don't freak, okay? Now, to understand what Jesus meant by I am the light of the world, you've got to understand where the statement was made. It was made in the temple treasury. It was made in the temple treasury. We see that in verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he's taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour was come. Now, here's what's significant. Here's the, 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 the boundaries of the temple, okay? And the outer court, which is this one on the most outer side, very large, was the court of the Gentiles. That's where you could come even if you weren't Jewish 
You could come, but you couldn't get very close to God. The next court, the court, uh, and, and by the way, this separating, this wall separated Jew from Gentile. So in Ephesians, when Paul says, God has torn down the wall between Jew and Gentile, he's talking about this little barrier right there. He's saying, hey, that barrier's gone now. We all have access to God. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. And then right here is the court of the women. The court of the women. That's just, you, 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 if you were a Jewish woman, you could enter that part. The next part is the court of the priests, which had a little barrier, and men could enter there. But ultimately, the men couldn't even get to the altar. Only the priests could get there. So you have all these levels. So to come to God, and God's presence dwelled here in the temple, the Ark of the Covenant. So Gentiles could come near, but not close. Women could come near, but not as, as close as men. And men could not come as close as the priests. It all was meant to show the holiness of God. Now, in Christ, we can all come near because he's the light of the world. Well, I'm getting ahead. Okay, we just, just want you to understand where he's at. Now, where Jesus is, he's right here. It says he's in the treasury. Along these walls were 13 offering uh, buckets or offering, I don't know how to describe them. They were shaped like trumpets. So they were narrow at the top and then they got wide. And so remember when Jesus watched the woman give her offering and she said all the, he said all these rich people are trumpeting? Well, it's because when you gave a lot of money, it would make a lot of noise. And so people would, you know, if they gave $100, they wouldn't bring a bill. They'd bring 100 pennies to make as much noise as possible, say, look at me. And then the little widow put in the two mites. No one heard her, but Jesus saw her. All that is taking place right here. And so he's among the, he's in the court of the women. Okay, that's the first thing you need to understand. Now, also, this is where the leaders of Israel, this was their headquarters in the temple. So when Jesus is talking, they can hear him. You know, so when he says, I am the light of the world, boom, they're on him. You know, and they're like, who are you to say this? What authority do you have? Okay, that's the first thing I want you to see. Where was the statement made? Now I want you to see when the statement was made. When the statement was made. So look at the next slide. It was made at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. It was made at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And you got to move back in your Bible to uh, John 7, 37. Turn your Bibles, John 7, 37. Because John 7 and 8 are connected. And before... I know this sounds silly, but before John 8 happened, John 7 happened, okay? And so this tells us where he was. So he's in the court of the women, but notice, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's at the last day of the great feast. Now you say, what feast is that? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. So give me, let me give you a little more background. There was three great feasts. There was Passover, there was the Feast of Pentecost, or weeks, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, and, and, and on these feasts, it was required by God that all male 
Jews, would come from all over Israel and they would gather in Jerusalem. And so, of course, if all the males come, they bring their families. So you can imagine three times uh, a year, every year, basically all of Israel would gather and celebrate these feasts. And the greatest of these, you know, it's just, just like us, you kind of weigh out things. You know, if you didn't make it to Passover, okay. If you didn't make it to the Feast of Weeks, that's all right. But there's one feast you didn't miss, and that was the Feast of Tabernacles. That's why John could say in 737, the feast. Because even though there was three, when you said the feast, just like you said the game, the football game, what would you think of? Super Bowl. This is the Super Bowl of Israel's worship. Everybody came, all right? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what did this feast celebrate? It came at the end of the harvest, and the people would be... The reason it was called temp, ta, uh, uh, Tabernacles is because it literally means dwelling places, temporary dwelling places. So it, it was a camping trip. How many of you like to camp? Okay, you guys would love this worship time. Let's grab our tents. Let's come. Some of you would be looking for an inn to stay in, and that would be disobedience to God. Because even if you lived in, even if you lived in Jerusalem, you would go up on your rooftop and camp out on the rooftop. You know, like I'm always trying to get my daughter and wife to sleep out on our deck. They're not the camping type. They're like, why would I want to do that? Because it'd be fun. It's beautiful out there. Let's sleep out on the deck tonight. Okay. Well, if it was the Feast of Tabernacles, we would have to sleep out on the deck. And why is that? It's to, remember, it's to remind the people of Israel where they came from and where they were going. It was to remind them that you came out of bondage in Egypt and then you dwelt in tents in the wilderness and yet you're waiting to enter the promised land. And God was still trying to remind them of this, that, hey, you haven't arrived yet. Don't put your roots down too deep here because you are my people waiting for my kingdom to come and for me to come and dwell. Gotcha? Does that make sense? It reminds me of the song by Building 429. I love the song, Where I Belong. And it's kind of got a chant to it. And it says, all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. That was the message of tabernacles. Get in a tent and remember that you came out of bondage. You're headed for something greater, a greater city of God. This is just temporary. You're looking, and that in that day, you're looking for the coming Messiah. That's what tabernacles was all about. It was a time where back in the wilderness, it was to remind them God's presence was with you. God's protection was with you. And God guided you through a pillar of what? A pillar of light. A pillar of light. Are you with me? They're thinking these things. They're remembering these things. All right. And it was a time to remind them that one day you're going to enter the promised land and you're going to be dependent on rain and water coming down to give you light. Now, it wasn't just the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the last day or the first day after the great traditions. Okay? The first day... It, 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 so this was... The Feast of Tabernacles lasted seven days. And here's where it gets a little weird. It lasted seven days, but on the eighth day, you had another Sabbath day. So it's like, woo, this seven days are great. And then you had this eighth day, and you're like, this is great too. Well, we don't know which is the last day. Is it the seventh or the eighth? 
I, we don't know. We don't know if it was the climax or it was the day after the climax. We don't know, 7th or 8th. But anyway, you just want to know that they have been worshiping and doing two traditions for seven days. And here's the first one. It's called the water pouring tradition. It was the path from the Pool of Siloam, which is located down here. So you're, you're basically walking the length of the city of Jerusalem. And the Pool of Siloam was down here. This is where, in chapter 9, Jesus is going to heal the blind man. He's going to send him to this pool to wash his eyes, and he's going to see. This was fed by a living spring. And the Jews would call any waters that were not in a container, that were from a spring, they would call them living waters. They were good to drink, they would give you life, and they were the best waters to use for worshiping in the temple. They were the purest. They were called, literally, living waters. So the priests would come down here, march down. It'd be a big, like an Easter parade. Okay, it's a big parade. Everybody's marching, and they're holding this golden bowl, and they're filling it with the living waters from down here. And every day, for seven days, they would march through the streets of Jerusalem, come up here through the water gate, which some believe was only open once a year for this one opportunity. They would then come through the court of the women, the court of the men, into the court of the priests, where only the priests could come. And then they would march around the altar and then pour out the living waters. This is not taught in the Old Testament. It was a tradition that they created to remind them of, of this truth. Because here's what they would shout as they were doing this. Isaiah 12, 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. They're looking forward to this day when Messiah will come and living waters will flow out of the city of Jerusalem. Here's Psalm 114. They would also shout this. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into fountain of waters. They're remembering the wilderness where Moses struck the rock and God's presence provided them water in the midst of a dry and thirsty land. And so they would reenact this seven times. And on the seventh day, because everything's about, you know, let's reach a climax. On the seventh day, they would march around the altar seven times. So this is the climax. Seven times, you know, we seven days, seven times, woo, pour it out, and this would be great, okay? Now, you've got to understand, either on that seventh time, after they've circled seven times, or the day after, when they no longer did it, Jesus stands up and says, John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living waters. Isn't that cool? And you know what the Pharisees, the self-righteous, all they had to say was, who gave you the right to say that? Who gave you the right to say that? That's the first tradition. Now let me show you the second one. There's a second tradition. Again, not taught in scripture, but they did this on the basis of scripture. The light-bearing tradition. So let's look at the light-bearing tradition. Now, this one, we don't know if it happened every night. Well, it did. It happened the first night. You remember they seven nights they would celebrate tabernacles. Well, on the first night of tabernacles, there's these four pillars. And it's hard to see, but actually the height of these pillars are even higher 
than the temple itself, okay? And the temple is on what's called the Temple Mount. It's high above all of Jerusalem. And so on the first night of tabernacles, they would light these four pillars. And it would be lit with olive oil, and they would use the... And this is really rather humorous, but it's meant to be holy. Um, they would use the old undergarments of the priests as fuel. Okay, I mean, probably don't dwell on that, but it's it's true, okay? Because the priests, you know, it was, a, it was a holy way to get rid of their holy undergarments, okay? Now, and these would burn. And what would happen is, what, what, what we think happens is they probably lit them the first night, and then they stayed lit. But what would happen is they would have an all-night party of light, and the men of Israel would grab torches, and they would just they would just party here in the court of the women and light torches and sing the psalms of ascent and, and just sing and, 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 and just think about the pillar of light and how God had led them and where God was going to lead them. Now, on the eighth day, these went out. And so what happens in John 8 is what I believe happens is on the seventh day when they pour the water with the climax, he says, I'm, you know, come to me, you who thirst. Then on the next day, when nothing is done, everything's over, the water's been poured for seven days, the lights have been lit for seven nights, now it's all over, they're still celebrating, but it's all over, and he says to them, I am the light of the world, which I believe he probably even said in the evening, because what a difference it would have been on that eighth night with no pillars lit. Are you with me? I am the light of the world. Now, it's really radical. What we've seen so far in John, in John 6, you had manna in the wilderness, and Jesus said what? I am the bread. In John 7, you have rock, water coming out of the rock during the wilderness, and what does Jesus say? I am the living waters, basically. And now in John 8, you have the pillar of light that led them through the wilderness, and Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. Now, what is, what is he saying? He's basically saying this. I am who I am. I am everything that you have been celebrating. I am. Everything you've been excited about and have come to Jerusalem for, I am. Everything that you're looking for and longing for, I am. I am who I am. I'm here. You've been doing this for years. You've celebrated this for a week. It would be like Jesus coming today and say, remember last week was Easter Sunday? Remember how excited you were last week? Remember how exciting the worship was? And now there's that little letdown the, the day after, maybe happened Monday, maybe it's this Sunday. He's saying, well, everything that you were looking for, worshiping, singing about, preaching about, teaching about, I am. And here I am. And you know, that's really the choice that we have every Sunday, every day. To either accept religion or a relationship with Jesus. Every Sunday we have an opportunity to go through the motions of worshiping about a God who's coming back for us, who has saved us in the past and is coming back for us. Or we have the opportunity to relate to the living God who is the purpose of everything that we do here at Glenwood. Man, that's just powerful stuff.
Everything you came for today, Jesus says, I am. Everything that everything points to, all the symbols, I am. Everything the rituals promise and everything hope that you have, I am. Everything that gives your traditions meaning and purpose, I am. So what's his claim? Well, let's look at the claim of the light of the world. He stands up there and he says, I am. All right, thanks. And uh, he says, I am. I am the light of the world. What does that mean? Well, first of all, he's saying again, ego a me. I am. I am. Myself, no other person. But what does he mean by this? He means basically two things. First of all, I am the light in the darkness of your wilderness. I am the light in the darkness of your wilderness. So what's the connection between all that? That's great history. But what's that mean for me today? Well, let me say again. Remember, the pillar of light was literally God's presence with his people. The pillar of light was God's protection of his people. How many, you know, you've watched Ten Commandments maybe recently because of Easter. Maybe you watched the Bible series. And what happens? God delivers Israel out of Egypt, but what happens immediately after that? Pharaoh and his chariots come after them. They're backed up against the Red Sea, and their only protection before God parts the waters, what is the protection? It is the pillar of light. So the pillar of light is not only God's presence, but it's God's protecting presence. And then also, once they go through the Red Sea, how do they get through the wilderness? We see in the book of Exodus, they don't move unless the pillar of light moves. And see, they never had to, you know, this is wonderful. When you lead your family on a camping trip or on a vacation, the question is, where are we going to stay? Where are we going to, it's the greatest burden on a man on a vacation. Figuring out those details. Where are we going to stay? Well, you know what the glorious thing is? When you're following God, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about where you're going to stop and when you're going to start because wherever God, the pillar stopped, they camped. And they stayed camped until the pillar of light moved. Protection, presence, and guidance. So here's what Jesus is saying to you and I this morning. He's saying this. Number one, I am the light of God's presence in you, which is greater than the darkness within you. I am the presence of God with you. Listen to Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. And the pillar did not depart from before the people. That pillar of light was God's presence among his people. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, you know what he's saying? I am God. I'm not just a man. I'm not just the guy from Nazareth. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a teacher. God came to church that day. God came to church. I wonder what we would do, you know, if Jesus showed up. I mean, really showed up. Would we be excited or we'd say, hey, we got a missionary letter. Step aside. You know, we, we, we've, we've got songs to sing. We've got things to do. We have rituals that we do here. Rather than just saying, Jesus, come on. Because we want God's presence. Hey, that's my prayer for this class. That's my prayer for our church. Whenever we I pray about the services at Glenwood, it's one thing. God, that you would be present and that you would be manifested. I have one prayer for my daughter 
that God would be real in her life. You say, well, she goes to church every Sunday. You guys talk about God all the time with her, and, and she's a, a pastor's daughter. That, doesn't, that means nothing. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Jews were all there. They knew all the promises. They went through all the rituals, and they missed on the presence of God being real in their life. I can't make Jesus real to my daughter. I can't make him real to you. I can only ask God that the light would reveal himself to you. Listen, the light, if you, are a, if you have stepped from darkness to life to accept Jesus as your Savior, to be your light in your darkness, then the light in you is greater than the darkness within you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. excited because there's a lot of darkness in me but the light's greater it's like when we you know uh only cave i get to go to and i and i drag my family to it is marvel cave there in in branson at silver dollar city and you, it's pitch black but the small just a match just a match can light a whole cavern but we don't have just a match we have the god who said let there be light and there was light that's who's in me and so the light in me is greater than the darkness in me. That's the first thing I want you to do. The second thing I want you to see is the light of God's protection for you from the darkness above you. I am the light of God's protection for you from the darkness above you. In Exodus 14, it tells us this. This is really freaky. And if you watch the Bible series or if you watch the Ten Commandments and you like those things, I love the Ten Commandments. Um, if you like, those things are great, but remember, the book is already always better than the movie. Okay, the book is always better than the movie, and it's a hundred times more accurate. Okay, so enjoy these things, but don't trust in these things. Trust in the book. Let them drive you to the book. Last Thursday, Thursday night, I took Amber out, and we did follow-up for Extravaganza. And uh, we're, we're toying with, uh, some of you came on Saturday, and, and, and really Thursday, everybody was at home. And so we hit all, we, we made it to six homes. Because everybody's home, then you end up, it takes longer because you talk more. But every one, we gave out this free app that's back in the back of the auditorium for the Bible, the Bible app that was advertised during the Bible series. And so I would ask every person we, door we went to, did you watch the Bible series? And oh, I think five hours say, oh, yeah, 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 we watched that. Well, remember that app they were advertising? Well, here's how you can get it. It's free. Get into the Word of God. Now, when we talk about protection, I say all that to say that movie wasn't that accurate, you know, and you don't want to base your life on the Ten Commandments, you know, and Chuck Heston, though he's my biggest hero in life. Um, here's what Exodus 14 says about that pillar of light. As the Jews ran up against, as the children of Israel ran up against the Red Sea, and as Pharaoh's chariots were coming, there was this pillar of light. But do you realize on one side it was light to the people of Israel, and on the back side of that pillar it was dark. So there was darkness towards those who were in darkness, and there was light towards those who are light. And that was God's protection of His people. Now listen, we have the prince of darkness over us, and we have the light of God's protection. And no matter how much darkness comes against you and your family, the light of God and Jesus Christ is a armor of light, the Bible says, to protect you from the devil. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, I'm your protection. Number three, he's saying this. 
I am the light of God's guidance through the darkness around you. I am the light of God's guidance. I've already talked to you about how they would never move. But how does God light us now? How does God light us now? He lights us, first of all, by the teaching of Jesus, the example of Jesus. He, he guides us by the teaching of Scripture. He guides us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And He guides us by the local church. And so it's like having a four-way lamp. And the more light you want, the more times you got to turn the light. You, you turn it on four times to get maximum light. See, some of us are walking around in darkness with a little tiny uh, uh, flashlight like this. You know, because we know Jesus, and that's that's about all we do. We don't read His Word, we don't rely on His Spirit. We're not regular in getting guidance from our church. But if you'll do all that, God's light in the person of Jesus will guide you. Well, there's a second meaning of this phrase, I am the light, and it's this, I am the light of the whole world. Jesus said, I am the light for the whole world. You see, this is what's sad. Israel had forgotten the purpose of possessing the light. Israel had forgotten the purpose of possessing the light. See, they're real good at going to Jerusalem, lighting their pillars, shining the light, singing, dancing, but they had gotten self-righteous. And you know what they said? This is our light. And you Gentiles, you stay out. Unless you want to become like us. And then if you become like us, we'll share your light with you. Now, folks, let me give you a little application for all of us, myself included. We're the same way. This is my Jesus. And if you want to hear about him, you smell like me, you look like me, you live near me, because I'm not entering into your darkness. Listen, I'm telling you, it, one of the greatest devotional aspects of my life is going to people. I take my daughter out Thursday, and I go into this community. I am burdened for this community. I am broken for the people that are lost. I encounter people. Little Muslim girl, we don't go to church. We don't go to church. Her mom couldn't even speak English to me. Shut the door. Many people were nice and open and interested. They're busy people. They're distracted people. They're people in darkness. And Israel had forgotten that they had this Messiah to share with the Gentiles, to share with the world. I wish I had time to take you through the Old Testament where the prophet Isaiah that we're studying about upstairs said, Messiah is coming and he's going to be a light to the nations. They knew better. We know better. We have this light to share this light with others. That's just good stuff. They had forgotten the purpose of possessing the light and they had forgotten the purpose of the coming of the light. The light had come to shine to the nations. So here's the challenge. We come to the last part, the challenge of the light in the darkness. The challenge of the light. In verse in John 8 verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And the Pharisees immediately tried to turn out the light. They tried to turn out the light. Now, here's the, here's the question. How do I know this morning if I truly possess the light of life? How do I know that I'm not one of the Pharisees? How do I know that Jesus really is the light? Well, here's the first thing. Have you placed your faith in the light for your salvation? Have you placed your faith in the light for your salvation. 
I love this phrase in John 8, 12. You will have the light of life. You will possess it. Do you possess Jesus? Has he shined in your darkness? Do you have the light? You know, I think it's very interesting. Jesus uh, in John 12, 6 says this. I have come as the light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. He said at the water pouring, whoever believes in me out of him will flow. So I ask you today, have you crossed the line from unbelief to belief, from knowing about Jesus to actually trusting Jesus, from saying, I know I'm a bad person, but I'm still pretty good to saying, you know what? I have darkness in me, over me and around me. I need the light of light. Have you crossed over from darkness to light? If you do, then you possess the light of life. But here's the second question. Are you following the light in this present darkness? Are you following the light? You see, faith and following are never separated in the Bible. Okay, let me wake you up. Faith and following are never separated in the Bible. And that's what Jesus said. He says, I am the light of the world who uh, follow me and you will possess light. So what's he mean? He means those who believe follow and those who follow are believing. And that's what faith and following is. So here's some questions. How do I know? How do I follow the light in this present darkness? Number one, shine the light of his word with your obedience. Shine the light of his word. The way we are light in the world is by obeying the words of light. Walk in light, even as he is in light. Number two, shine the light of his works with your character. We are the light of the world. Don't just obey, obey out of a Christ-like attitude. Do things that are glorifying to God. And then, well, here's what D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist, said. We're told to be let our light shine. And if it does, we won't need to tell anybody it does. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. See, when you're in the darkness and you light a match, no one has to say, where's the light? There it is. Listen, folks, one word of warning. Our culture, as it shifts, as it grows darker, our culture is growing darker. I am shocked. I am shocked again and again how professing believers who claim they have the light will promote the policies of darkness, who will promote the worldview of darkness, who will wear badges on their Facebook page of badges of darkness, and they claim to be the light. Listen, don't get all... And I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about, you know, hating on people. I'm saying loving people enough to shine the light that will expose their sin and point them to a Savior. Because you know what? I'm darkness too. And someone shined the light for me. And He's my light. It's nothing who I am. It's what He's doing in me. And I want to promote Him. I want to promote His truth through my character and through what I believe. And then number three, shine the light as His witness with your boldness. John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. I love that. I love that. Listen, when people get hostile to you, say, hey, 
I'm not the light. I'm just pointing you to the light. I'm not the light. I'm just pointing you, you know, who are you to impose your morality on another person? I'm nobody. I'm not the light. He is the light. Let him shine on you. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Listen, I have a handout here, and uh, it's the words to a song, You Are the Light, and it's the words to a song by Steve Fee. And I'd, I'd like for you to stick this in your Bible today, and you reflect on this. We are the people of God, the sons and daughters of love, forgiven, restored, and redeemed, living our lives to the praise of our King. We are the ones who will shine His light in the darkness of night, the hopeless, the broken, the poor. They will be hopeless no more. You are the light, the light of the world, and we shine you, Lord. You are the light, the light of the world, and we shine you, Lord. That's what we're here to do, amen? And that's what all of church is about, pointing to Him. Were you a light this week? Did you grow dim? Do you need to shine brighter? This lesson is going to help you do that. Because Jesus will help you do that. Let's pray. Father, we come. And I have to confess, Lord, I'm, I'm like your people many years ago. And I can lose you in my work for you. And the answer is not to stop doing the work for you, but to remember the one that the work points to. It's to remember the one who saved me and gave me this desire to work for you, to live for you, to speak for you. Lord, you shined into my darkness. I want to proclaim that you are the light. I want to shine for you because the darkness is growing greater, which means the light will shine brighter. This is the time to speak up, not to shrink back. And so I pray for people here. Maybe some haven't passed from darkness to life, to light and life. May they do that today. Many of us have crossed over into the light. We are light, but we're failing to shine that light. We, we, ha we have arrogance in our words. We, we have a hatefulness in our spirit. We're, we're fearful, and that comes out with an anxiety and we're not speaking forth out of the confidence that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Lord, let us speak with boldness. Let us live with kindness. Let us shine, shine, 